This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. In the past 24 hours, CrowdStrike has processed more than 1 trillion security events. That's 35 million events since I started this sentence. That isn't just big data, that's CrowdStrike data. CrowdStrike's engineers are pioneering the future of the cybersecurity industry and working at an incomparable scale while solving some of the toughest challenges in technology. CrowdStrike is a team that makes a difference every day, protecting customers around the globe from the world's most sophisticated adversaries. If you wanna take your passion for technology and purpose-driven work and make it a superpower, Join the company that's on a mission that matters by visiting CrowdStrike.jobs. Thank you, CrowdStrike, for sponsoring this episode. What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. If you listen to this podcast, we often talk about stories and meaning and making an impact. But how do you ensure that the things that you're doing in life provide meaning, and are creating an impact for your community or even your family. To discuss this topic, we've brought in Clint Author. Clint is a celebrity entrepreneur and a number one bestseller that was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Clint shares a bunch of stories about the hard times in his life and how he overcame them to find meaning. Sit back and enjoy this episode, and let's jump right into it. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome (laughs) back to the show. Glad to be back again. In the studio today, we have Clint Arthur. Clint is a celebrity entrepreneur and also an author. He just authored a new book called Wisdom of the Men, which is a number one bestseller and nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Clint, welcome to the show. Great to be with you guys. Yeah, Clint, I am beyond excited to hear about all the wisdom that you've pulled from all these brilliant people and about the process of writing the book. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. I I always wanted to be special. (laughs) I I really did, you know, and a lot of that was because my parents were arguing all the time. Your parents ever argue when you were growing up, Chris? Oh, always. Well, with us, it was like, when weren't they arguing? Mm -hmm. And uh, I was 14 years old and I came across a strategy and I read about this university, this business school in a book. And it was called the Wharton Business School. The main character went to Wharton and he was some super successful international business tycoon. And I said to myself, well, if I could become somebody special like that, maybe my parents would stop arguing. Mm. And I go to Wharton and like my whole life, my whole life was focused on going to Wharton. That's it. And I, I graduate, go home to get the attaboys, and what happens? They get into the biggest argument of all time. My parents, my dad storms out of the living room, slams the front door on his way out of the house. I turn to my mom. I go, you know, mom, the way he resents you all these years, have you been cheating on dad? And I'm sitting there thinking, where the heck did that idea come from? I never thought that before. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, 
what kind of rude son of a gun asks his mom a question like that? And I'm thinking, why ain't she answering the question? Mm. Then she goes, he's not your real father. Your real father was a doctor at the fertility clinic we went to for six years trying to have you, and you look just like that guy. No way. Imagine how you would feel if everything you thought you knew about who you were suddenly poof. Not only didn't I know who I was anymore, I sure as heck didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up anymore. So I call up the investment bank on the 87th floor of number one World Trade Center, get the vice president on the phone. Sir, thank you. I really appreciate the offer. I've decided I don't want to be an investment banker anymore. And what do I do? Naturally, I run out to Hollywood. Most people go to Hollywood to lose themselves. I went there to find myself. And I found myself, after not very long, becoming somebody very special. I became the Wharton taxi driver. Yeah. And where were you on December 31st, 1999? Were you getting Y2K cash out of an ATM? Were you partying with family and friends? I was behind the wheel of yellow cab number 6087 in the mm. back seat. I'm driving them to a party. There's these two guys, they're MBA interns at Goldman Sachs. I'm listening in on their conversation. One guy says, hey man, did you hear about Mr. Carrera? They made him the last partner right before the Goldman IPO and he cashed out a gazillion dollars. And I'm like, hey, you guys talking about Chris Carrera? How do you know Mr. Carrera? Chris Carrera yeah. was a pledge in my fraternity. And when I was the pledge master, I used to make those little punks dance around the living room of the house with their tidy whities on top of their heads. <laughs> now this guy cashed out a gazillion dollars and I'm driving the cab. That night I go home to my little boat I'm living on in Marina Del Rey counting up my money at like six o'clock in the morning, $513. I was supposed to be somebody special. And that was the night I decided I can't chase the Hollywood dream anymore. I, I stopped writing screenplays. That was actually the second time that I quit writing. I, like I had written a novel when I was in college, couldn't get anybody to read it. So I quit writing. Then here I was trying it again. And you know, I wrote 30 screenplays and I said, mm. I can't keep throwing my life away while all my fraternity brothers are becoming millionaires and some of them billionaires. I'm driving a cab. I can't do this forever. So I quit driving taxis and I tried to have a normal life. That's all I wanted was to have a normal life. I got into the gourmet food business. I started making some money. I met a beautiful woman. Luckily, she believed in me more than I even believed in myself. And we started building real estate throughout the 2000s. I got really fat and happy building real estate and selling gourmet food. And that takes us to October 2008. The world mm -hmm. is melting down. I'm at a yeah. men's self-help campfire on the beach in Marina del Rey. And the shaman at the campfire points at me across the yellow and orange crackling flames and he goes, you don't know it yet, but you're already dead. I said, what are you talking about, man? I'm the most successful guy on this team. Eight years ago, I was driving a cab. Now I'm a millionaire. I was living on a little boat. Now I live in a mansion. You're already dead. You just don't know it. And I didn't know what the heck he was talking about, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. For months, I'd wake up out of a sound sleep in the middle of the night. I'm already dead. What does he mean? Mm. And it came to be New Year's Day of 2009. I sat down with a pad of paper 
and a pen to write down my goals for the year as I started doing once I became a successful business entrepreneur. And I asked myself a question that was inspired by that shaman. I said, what if that guy is right? What if I am already dead? I still didn't understand what it meant yet. Or what if this is going to be the last year of my life? What would I want to accomplish? And that question really changed my whole life. Took me all the way to my greatest successes because I started living my life as if I was going to die at the end of the year. And that a lot, uh, eliminated a lot of the procrastination, fear, and self-doubt, which I think holds a lot of people back from a lot of stuff. Those three things, procrastination, fear, and self-doubt. And self-doubt manifests itself when, like, when you're presented with an opportunity. The main thing, I think, that keeps people from seizing opportunities is they don't think they can do it. Mm -hmm. And when you're living like you're going to die, you don't, you don't feel like that anymore. You just say, well, if I fail, I fail. I'm just going to go for everything. And that really changed everything for me in my life. I started writing again. I, I wrote my book. Like The first thing on my list of what I would do if I was going to die was I had to write my book about what I learned at the Wharton Business School that helped me to become successful mm -hmm. once I stopped trying to be a movie star and a screenwriter because I had a 13-year-old daughter and I wanted her to have that wisdom. So that book ended up becoming my first best-selling book. I've had 20 others since then. My most recent one is called Wisdom of the Men. Because 20 books? Yeah. Wow, okay. I've written a lot of books. I, I, you <laughs> know, I, books. I love writing. See, that's the thing. I had quit writing twice and I love writing. And, you know, writing has really given me everything. I've, I've written my way into millions and millions of dollars and into meeting and working with the biggest unicorns in the world. I, I'm not talking about people who are like, you know, Instagram influencers. I'm talking about the biggest movers and shakers on the planets, five presidents of the United States, mm -hmm. Dr. Oz, Mick Jagger, I, if you name them. And I've, I've met them. Snoop Dogg, Ice-T, Martha Stewart, Oprah. And all of this be began because I started living as if I was going to die. And once I wrote my book, then I needed to promote it. And I started going on TV and pursuing, like, what are the things that a person, a regular person can do to compete in the super crowded marketplace of being an author, a speaker, a coach, an entrepreneur, an expert of any kind. Because what I realized was like I, when I started living the last year of your life, it was so good. I started a coaching program around that. In order to promote the, that coaching program, in order to promote my book, what they teach you at the Warden Business School, I started going on TV and developing what I call celebrity entrepreneur positioning or celebrity expert positioning. Not that I'm a celebrity. I'm not famous like Mick Jagger or George Clooney or, or Donald Trump, all of whom are people whom I have met and are in my book, Wisdom of the Men. But to my customers and prospects, and I don't, I don't call them customers, but a lot of people have customers. I only have clients. There's a big difference. But mm -hmm. to my clients, I'm somebody who they are excited to pay a lot of money to and 
that's what you get when you position yourself as a celebrity entrepreneur. Part of celebrity entrepreneurship is meeting and hanging out with famous people, big, like real famous people. Like this past weekend, I was in LA shooting pool in a celebrity pool tournament with Dog the Bounty Hunter. He's a famous person. I'm not, but I attach myself to those people. And my new book, Wisdom of the Men, basically is a whole book all about celebrity attachment. It's all stories of the people that I've met. It's about the wisdom that I've learned from these people. It has the photos of me and the people. It's one giant celebrity positioning manifesto, really. And, you know, I really put my whole life into that book. I put everything I had into writing it. I pulled no punches. I, you know, I like said a lot of stuff that people don't want to hear, you know? Right. I only spoke the truth and what I know. That's what's in that book. How's that? <laughs> That's a heck of an introduction. <laughs> I, I think your story relates to a lot of folks. It resonates with a lot of folks. It definitely resonates with me because there's something around this value, right? This value proposition as a person. You want to feel valued by your family. You want to feel valued by your friends, your colleagues. And a lot of times people don't get that value reflected onto the world. Do you feel like that that still drives you today? Is that is that the fuel that you're still burning today? Or did that fuel turn to something else over time? That's everything. I mean, look, along the way, I met a woman, we had a kid, and you know, it didn't work out. I was still a taxi driver. I was driving a cab to pay for the baby and the house and the electricity and the internet and the cable. And her career blew up when I was struggling like that. And I remember the night that I came home to the house to pack up my stuff because she said that I had to move out. And her best friend had been house sitting. We were on a trip. I came back alone from the trip. I'm sitting in the living room getting stoned. This is when I still used to smoke pot. And the best friend says to me, what could you have done different? And I said, I could have been more. See, this sense of not being enough, this sense of not being anybody special, this sense of not being good enough, that your book is not good enough, that your, that your product is not good enough. This is something that everybody deals with. I call it, who am I? Even Donald Trump dealt with it. I remember when he first became president, I was watching TV and I saw him at a ribbon cutting three weeks into his presidency. And Donald Trump actually said, hey, look, I'm the president. Could you believe it? Even Donald Trump was insecure about having become president. This is the human condition. Who am I? And you're never going to get rid of it entirely, I don't think. But the things that we do, this is the beauty about being a celebrity entrepreneur is that People join my mastermind. People enroll in my mentorship programs or, or do events with me so that they can meet celebrities, so that they can get the marketing or so that they can go on TV and get the marketing or they'll come and work with me on their book because they know that having a best-selling book is something they need. That's one of the key things that all expert entrepreneurs need in order to be perceived as a celebrity in the eyes of customers and prospects is a best-selling book. And you never have enough of them. Like, you know, I, I know a guy who re releases a New York Times best-selling book every single year 
as his major point of marketing. It's a very smart thing to do. And the great thing is that people come to me for the marketing, but what you don't expect and what really is the value is who you become in the process of positioning yourself as somebody special in the eyes of your customers and prospects. You actually become somebody more substantial in your own mind. And that's the key to everything because all buying decisions are emotional and so much of your sales proposition is how you present the proposal to the prospect. And the way you present is all about how you feel about yourself. I remember the first vacation I took where my celebrity positioning was actually starting to become reality for me. We were on one of our long vacations at the Royal Hawaiian Hotel in Honolulu on Oahu. And, you know, we, we went four years in a row there for the whole summer. And one year that we were there, John Travolta was on vacation there too. And I, that's one of my early good selfies. I got a selfie with John Travolta. I, I made it happen. You know, I knew he was at the hotel. I, I knew he was at some event that night. I said to my wife, hey, if I'm going to get that selfie with John Travolta, I better go make it happen. I went and waited for him when he came out of the banquet that he was at. I said, hey, John, can I get a quick selfie? He came like within two inches of my nose, looked eye to eye in, into my eyes and said, okay. So I snapped the selfie and I said, John, what's the most important thing you ever learned? That's the question I ask every person in this book. Wisdom of the men, what's the most important thing you ever learned or some variation of that question? And he said, fly high. And, you know, he's a pilot. He likes to fly his own planes. I'm not a pilot, but I do believe in setting high goals, keeping high standards, setting high standards for yourself and keeping them. If you want to fly high in your life, it's up to you to make you fly high. One of the things that I'm really resonating with everything that you're saying is creating value, creating value for your customers or your clients, as you like to refer to them, creating value for people that they're interacting with, with how they're doing their messaging and marketing. And one of the things I'm sure a lot of people wrestle with, including myself, is finding meaning when presenting that value. I'm sure working with celebrities, you can get lost sometimes with just trying to do the right thing that you think is the right thing, but doesn't necessarily have meaning to you. How do you find meaning in your work? What, what has been that story of finding that meaning and then capitalizing on it? When I was 20 years old, I was like a senior at the Wharton Business School. My girlfriend comes up to me with a brochure. In those days, this was like, this was like 1987, so there was no internet yet. It was a paper brochure with pictures of this five-star resort in Caracas, Venezuela. And she says, hey, let's go to Caracas, Venezuela for spring break. I mean, who says stuff like that, right? <laughs> so uh, it was 500 bucks for a five-star resort for a week, including airfare per person. We go to Caracas, Venezuela, and I'm expecting this place to be a total scam. Like, what's the resort really look like? But we get there, and it's the real place. It was beautiful. It was called the Malia Caribe Hotel. And unfortunately, today, if you Google that name, Malia Caribe Hotel, you could find a YouTube video of a guy walking through this hotel in Caracas, Venezuela, which has now become totally abandoned, graffiti-covered, boarded up, 
this beautiful resort has been destroyed by socialism and communism in Venezuela. But when we were there, it was amazing. And one day we go for a walk through the little beach town. And in those days, I used to smoke cigarettes, man. You know, you think nothing nothing bad is going to happen to you. Oh, I won't get addicted to cigarettes. I did. Oh, I wouldn't become a drug addict. Well, I was addicted to marijuana until I quit. I won't become an alcoholic. Well, I quit that too. You you don't think any of these bad things are going to happen to you when you're a kid, but who, you know, if you drink the wine or the tequila or the beer every day, who do you think is going to become an alcoholic? You are. Mm-hmm. In any case, I sit down on the corner to light a cigarette. I blow out the match. It's a wooden matchstick. I'm watching the smoke wafting off the corner of this wooden matchstick. And I think, what am I going to do with this matchstick? And I look down and I see a crack in the sidewalk. And I say to myself, if I put this matchstick in that crack of that sidewalk, no one will ever know. And no one ever knew. It remained a secret, one of my secret stories that no one ever knew about for more than 20 years until finally when I was leading the last year of your life coaching program in 2010, I wrote a chapter of it when I was writing the book, The Last Year of Your Life, which also became a bestseller. And I told this story and suddenly that match went from being secret, insignificant, meaning nothing to anyone, to having meaning for me and for a lot of people who read the chapter. Because I believe that you create the meaning for your life. And the best way to do it is by telling and examining the stories of your life. I told you the story about the matchstick. I told you the story about going to Caracas, Venezuela. And I'm telling you that that meaningless little insignificant moment on a corner in a deserted beach town has a lot of significance for me. And that's how you create meaning. You tell the stories, you retell them, you examine them. And that's one of the great benefits of being a writer or at least writing your book, writing your book about your life. I call it like one of the great ways or things to, to write as, a, as an expert is what I call a business biography. It's basically, you know, how you got to be the expert that you are, how you got to the adversities that you've come through that have become your advantage. And in the business biography, you tell little stories from your life and those stories develop meaning. And that's what speakers do. That's what writers do. We tell stories from our lives and teach through the stories. That's incredible. How did you settle on the title, The Wisdom of the Men? And what was that one piece of advice that you got from a celebrity that changed your life forever? I have taken a lot of seminars, you know, like one of the things that I realized when I was trying to get out of taxi driving was that if I was going to change my life, it was up to me to change my life. And the best way to change my life was to change who I was. This is a fascinating thing because this is the most important thing in business is who you are. You know, when I was trying to become a movie star, I would go on auditions and and let's say I was competing against Tom Cruise or I I actually tell this story in, in Wisdom of the Men. I was working as a production assistant on a movie. It was called Firebirds starring Nicolas Cage, Tommy Lee Jones, and Sean Young. And it was about the Apache attack helicopters. And the executive producer of the movie was my girlfriend's father. And he comes to visit the set and he goes, you know something? 
you're even better looking than Nicolas Cage. And I said, so how come I'm not the star of this movie? And he said, because nobody would give me millions of dollars to make a movie starring you. See, because I'm not Nicolas Cage. It doesn't matter who's better looking. It doesn't matter who's smarter. It doesn't matter who's a better actor. I, let's say I was as good as him or even better. It really doesn't matter. All that matters is who you are. So uh, I, that was a really important lesson that I, that I learned in this process. And when I was on the set of the Today Show, I was interviewed by Brooke Shields. And Brooke Shields said to me, you know, you talk a lot about being comfortable being uncomfortable outside of your comfort zone. And I said, yeah, because life begins where your comfort zone ends. And she said, that sounds scary. And I said, when it's scary is when it's great. And, you know, she's not a, she's not a man, but my background comes from my work with this men's self-help divisions. And when I was the team leader of my men's team, we called the team, like I changed the name of the team to the men. This way, when I would say to my wife, okay, I've got the men tonight, it was, it was cool. And we would go to these team meetings and there was, a section of, there was a section of the meeting that happened every time when I would say, all right, now, is there any man who needs the wisdom of the men? We would sit around in a circle and if a guy needed help with a personal problem, a business problem, he would just tell us what was going on and the men would come up with the wisdom and it was a weird, crackling, magical energy that we would get every single week when we would do the wisdom of the men. It was like timeless, intergenerational, cellular level knowledge that would come through this circle to help every single man with whatever their problem was. That's where wisdom of the men came from that as a title. And what I wanted to do, like when I was looking at my life and I wanted to write my most important book. I wanted to write my life's work masterpiece that I would put everything in and give it everything I've got. And I've been writing since I'm 16 years old. I knew that it was going to be stories. It's going to be all stories. And I started writing down all the, all the men because I wanted to write the wisdom of the men and like see if I could produce something that would have the cellular level knowledge that I used to get every week in the men's team. And I realized that if all I wrote about was not just like my dad or my wrestling coach, but only the famous people that I've met, I could fill a whole entire 329 page book with just those stories. That's what I wrote. Now, Brooke Shields said, that sounds scary. And I said, yeah, when it's scary is when it's great. I can't believe I was able to capture that on video when I was on the Today Show because that knowledge is so amazing. What I have found is that every time I'm doing something and it's scary, it really turns out to be great. When we came down to Acapulco for the quarantine, you know, 15 days to slow the spread, I said to my wife, look, either we go back to our apartment in Midtown Manhattan on the 13th floor, that doesn't sound like fun, or we go to our loft in LA that we own and we don't like LA anymore, that doesn't sound fun. We could rent a house in Arizona or go to Florida. Or we could go to our favorite resort in Acapulco and turn the quarantine into a vacation. And that's what we did. Came down for two weeks. And luckily, about 
a week into it, I realized it wasn't going to be no two weeks to slow the spread. This was going to be longer. So I started looking at villas. I rented us a villa for four and a half months. And the night before we were going to move in, I was freaking out. We're in the hotel. We had never stayed anywhere in Acapulco. We had come here many times for vacations. We had never stayed anywhere except the hotel that we went to, which was our favorite resort. And we're, if I could have canceled that villa, I would have. I was scared. I was like, the villa doesn't even have a front door. It's got an open air living room and dining room. Are we going to be safe? Maybe I should buy a gun. I look up, can you buy a gun in Mexico? No, you cannot own a gun in Mexico. It's not like the United States. If they catch you with a gun, they throw you in prison. Many American hunters have been thrown in prison for coming to Mexico with guns that you're not allowed to have. We, I'm, I'm like really scared. I couldn't cancel the reservation. We are forced to go move into the villa. We get there. We walk in. It's like paradise. We look at each other, my wife and I, and we're like, what the heck were we doing in that lousy hotel for so long? We, we could have been staying in villas like this. And we stayed in Acapulco in a villa for four and a half months. We ended up buying a, a villa here in Acapulco. That's where I'm broadcasting to you from now our amazing villa. We, we mm. now host our events here. We have, we've had more than 70 clients come down to Acapulco and stay with us in our six-star luxury resort villa. It has 25,000 square feet of property and eight bedrooms, sleep 16 people. It's like it's given us the power to control our own destiny in a world where everything is out of control where you know I've, I've done so many events that got canceled because of COVID. Now you, you can't even do an event in New York City because you have to have a, a vaccine card to prove that you've been vaccinated. And a lot of my clients just don't go in for that. So I can't do events in New York anymore. Now I do all my events here in Acapulco and I have my own control of my own destiny. So when it's scary, even though in the moment it doesn't feel good, that's how you know you're doing something great. Now, when you're telling your story, if you think you're going to tell some pat little vanilla beige story that you would be comfortable telling in a job interview mm. then, and be remembered, you're out of your mind. Nobody has time for boring stories. If you want to tell a story that's going to have any impact and make any and any difference and help you to really move the needle in your business, you got to tell what I call your secret story. Now, for many years, I never told anyone about the fact that I was a taxi driver. I mean, think about it. I went to the best business school in the world. All my best friends became millionaires and billionaires, and I was a taxi driver. That was a secret for, 26, for 16 years. I never told anyone about my biological dad not being my dad who raised me for 26 years. When I started telling those two stories, my income jumped into the seven figures. And what I help a lot of my clients do is to find the secret story from their life that they need to tell and to leverage those secret stories into being memorable, being someone who's story makes sense in terms of who they are and what they've become and how they help people and how they make money and helping them to understand and become more comfortable being uncomfortable in their comfort zone 
telling the stories that scare them. And think about it. You know, uh, I said one of the most important things I've ever learned came from my experience with that woman, Brooke Shields, who is one of several women in the book. Martha Stewart, Suzanne Somers, Hillary Clinton, Oprah, and I'll talk about Oprah in one second, are all women who somehow were so amazing that they wedged themselves into this book about men, which by the way, is the, was the number one book about men or women on Amazon over the weekend, number one book in gender. So if you want to really harness the power of of fear, of being scared, like I said, when it's scary is when it's great, start telling the stories that scare you to tell, that you're scared to tell. This is another way that you can use your stories of your life to create meaning and breakthroughs in your life. And why do you need to do that? Well, I asked Oprah when I met her, Oprah, what's the most important thing you ever learned? Without a moment of hesitation, she said, you are responsible for your own success. You are responsible for your own success. That's how come I started telling the story about my dad because my mom didn't want me to tell it because she said, it makes me sound like I'm a slut. Well, mm -hmm. you know, I got to pay my bills. I am responsible for putting food on the table and making it happen in my life. And it is my life. It's my story. And you, the listener, you need to claim the power of your stories and harness that power to find the meaning, create the meaning, and create the breakthroughs that you want in your life, in your career, and in your mission here on this earth. I think that's absolutely perfect. Clint, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics with us. For those who want to stay up to date with you and all the incredible things that you have going on, including getting your book, what are the best ways that people can do that? The book is on Amazon, Wisdom of the Men. If you want more information about me, go to clint.com. That's C-L-I-N-T-T-T.com. Clint with three T's.com. Excellent. We'll be sure to drop those links in the show notes for everyone to stay up to date with you and also check out your book. Clint, thanks again. We'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.